Praise the Lord. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. Um, if you would turn in your Bibles to James chapter, I put in chapter two, but I think it's chapter one. I'm sorry. I just noticed I put it down wrong. I think. Make sure here. Eddie, won't you find that chapter while I'm reading this here? I think I put it around wrong. Let me read the scripture here. Verse 2, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. What chapter is that? That's one, I thought it was. So James chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, I put chapter 2 for some reason when I was typing. Uh, Dear brothers and sisters, listen very carefully. It says, when troubles of any kind come your way. Now let me ask you, have troubles of any kind come your way? Hallelujah. So this one's going to be, I really want you to be careful to ask the Lord to help. Um, We're going to try to define one word today, and it's very difficult for the interpreters to interpret this one word because we don't really have an equivalent to this one word in the English that they have in the Greek. And so it means a whole lot more in Greek than it does for one any one word in English. So, cons- brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, what should we do? He says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. How many have ever done that? <laughs> You're shaking your head, but I don't know that we do. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, how many's faith has been tested before by troubles? When your faith is tested, your, and this is the word, your endurance has a chance to grow. Notice God is asking for you to be excited because when trouble comes, your endurance will grow when your faith is tested. And he says, let it grow. For when endurance is fully developed, you will be mature or perfect and complete, needing nothing. So he's asking us here to let this thing, um, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but King James will say, how many versions says patience? Some will say perseverance. Some will say endurance. Some will say steadfastness. But all of them are trying to come up with a word that doesn't adequately say what this one word is. But the scripture is saying, let it grow. Whatever this word is, he says, let it grow by the testing of your faith when trouble comes. Because it's a good thing when it grows. Because when that thing is mature, you're going to be complete and mature and in need of nothing. Hallelujah. How many think that's a pretty awesome scripture there in James? James 1, 1 through 4. Or two through four, I'm sorry. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, I just pray that you help us, Lord. Lord, as we dig into your word, Lord, I just pray that you would help us define this in our lives, Lord God. Not define it on a page, uh, but define it in our life, Lord God. This ingredient to life, Lord, that will make us mature and complete. Lord, uh, we just pray that this would grow in us, Lord God. Uh, that we would be... Um, what you want us to be, Lord God, what you've called us to be. 
And uh, Lord, I pray that you bless each person today, Lord. And uh, touch this word, Lord. Hide me behind your cross and help us, Lord. And uh, we pray all these things in your name, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. It's not just me preaching. We've all got to be a part of this, right? We're all trying to receive the word together. Hallelujah. So the title of my message is the reward, the rewards, plural, of not giving up. The rewards of not giving up. How many like when you hear the word reward? You know, that's a very popular word to throw around. How many have these you have these cards that you have to, you know, you can't go to CVS unless you give them the card. And they say, well, look, your rewards, your CVS rewards. And you're like, oh, rewards is only a good thing, right? And so when we get rewards, we're like, hey, what is the payoff for what I did? And so this message is all about the payoff, the rewards that you get for just not giving up, not giving in, not throwing in the towel. And uh, how many know where there are rewards, uh, there are also things you're going to lose if you give up. There are, there's a lot to lose for giving up. And so how many have ever been to a place where you've been presented with the idea of giving up or continuing on? I'm, I might be the only one. I'm the only one. I'm, I feel lonely here today. How many have ever been to the place where you came to an intersection in life and you were presented with the choices of giving up or continuing on? Good, we have a few. I'm glad I'm preaching to a few this morning. Hallelujah, we got a lot of them, all right. Hallelujah. All right, just making sure everybody's awake this morning. That fan goes off, it gets quiet, and it gets really tense in here. You know, so let's not be too tense. Let's make sure we apply this. Here's how it normally works. Okay, we have a place in our life where we begin something and that thing has an end to it. And somewhere in the middle, we're presented with a challenge to finish or to quit. How many have, how many are familiar with this place? And so there's lots of things in life we're presented with the challenge of quitting. And I'll be honest with you, there are some things it's better not to be stubborn just to quit. You know, there are certain projects that maybe you shouldn't have started. <laughs> and it's kind of wise sometimes not to do it. There are certain things in life that are toxic, certain things that are damaging, certain things that it's more wise through counsel just to say, hey, this is something that I should not have done and I made a bad decision getting in this. And But there are things in life, and this one especially, if you look at the scripture, he says, when your faith is being tested that you should have this endurance thing and let it grow. So specifically in this scripture and in the book of James, it's talking about faith. Like you have to have this ingredient with faith where you have this endurance where you don't quit. And so let me focus your attention this morning on the fact um, that it's talking about faith, which is the highest thing in life. How many are aware that faith is the most important thing that we have in this life? We can't lose our faith in God because our faith in God leads to eternal life. And no matter what happens in this world, you can gain the whole world. But if you lose your faith in God, we've lost everything. How many know that this morning? 
Hallelujah. But I will extend this to everything in life that is good. Everything that in life is good, um, you should have this ingredient in your life where you do not give up on things that are good. In fact, the Bible says that love uh, always endures. How I many you know in the love chapter it says love always endures? And so what that means is that when you have something good, like you have your faith in God, and you feel like you're at that point where you're ready to give up. How many have ever been at the point where you felt like you were ready to give up on your faith in God? And so you're at this point and you're saying, I'm ready to throw in the towel, I'm ready to quit. How many have ever felt like you were ready to quit on people? Where you said, oh man, you know, I love these people, but I'm just done with those people. I'm done with my marriage. I'm done with my kids. I'm done with my family. I'm done with this. And the Bible is saying when it's something good, you need to have this ingredient in your life. Because when it says love always endures, what that means is when you give up and you stop, that means love is cut off. And when love stops flowing and you don't have that ingredient of this endurance, perseverance, or steadfastness, whatever this word is that we're going to define today, when you don't have it, the love is just cut off. And how many have ever known somebody or you were that person where you got to the point where you said, I'm done and I quit. And when you talk to that person that next time, there's no love there. How many have ever seen that? Or ever felt that within yourself? And you can feel love is just being cut off. And you say, man, I'm done. And then the next time you talk to them, you say, man, what changed? Love's not flowing anymore. They just stopped all of a sudden. They gave up. And so that may be, you know, you may, you may be in bed in the morning. And you're wanting to get up and start your day. And how many know if you've given up, your passion for that day has been cut off. How many have ever been there? You don't have to raise your hand on this one. We'll keep this one quiet. (laughs) But how many have ever had the passion cut off? And and that's what we call depression. And uh, how many have ever had relationships? You know, you say, I just can't do it anymore. And you just can't be nice to that person anymore. You can't be loving to that person anymore. And the Bible is introducing something to us. It's an ingredient to life that we should all have. And it's saying, what do you do when you get to the point of saying, I give up? And the Bible is saying, add this perseverance to your life. Add this thing called steadfastness, this thing called patience. And and, and I'm going to tell you why patience is not the best definition for this word. But it's used a lot in the Bible. So as we go in, we begin to look at this. Um, We look at the word here that is... For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be mature and complete, needing nothing. So we got to look at this word because it's used twice there. Simplest definition of the word is to persist in any purpose or endeavor or continue striving for your goal Despite the difficulties, you stay on course. That's the simplest definition. How many have ever been persistent through any endeavor and you continued striving for your goals despite difficulties? You stayed on course. And so that's what this word is. I'm not going to let go 
of whatever this endeavor is, I'm going to hold on to it. And specifically, it's talking about your faith here. But how many know if you get used to in life giving up on important things, it's like a domino effect to everything else in life. If you give up on one thing that's important, then it becomes easier to give up on other things that are important. How many know that to be the case or can see that? You don't have to even know it. You can just see that, man, if I'm getting good at giving up, then that's going to translate to everything that's important in life. And so that's why it's important to learn in the little things uh, to follow through. So this is a Greek word. Um, The word is translated in the Bible 32 times. It's the word hupomone. And it's a Greek word. And very important to define this word because everything in that verse hinges on that word being used twice. That we need to have it. So the word, if you just read the simple Greek definition of it, it's a cheerful or hopeful endurance, constancy, enduring, patience, patient continuance. Meaning I'm continuing on patiently, but I'm doing it joyfully. And so here's where it becomes really interesting and becomes very difficult to um, define. It has to include a passive endurance and an active persistence. So the problem is if they interpret it patience like they do in the King James Version, in our language that is considered a passive word. How many know patience is a kind of a passive word? That means that I'm going to be patient, which just means I'm going to sit aside and almost take it and not do anything. Almost stoic. I'm just going to... It's happening, and I'm just going to take it, and I'm going to be patient. And some of us, we hate that, don't we? It's like, I can't do anything about it. I'm just going to... And so that's part of it. That's part of it is just being patient and continuing patiently. But then you also have to add the active part of it. It has to be a combination of a passive and an active persistence. So... So then you begin to look at it, and here's some of the definitions. In fact, the roots of this word says it means somebody who is to remain under discipline, subjecting their self to something which demands the submission of their will to something that they naturally would rebel against. So the root of it is, I'm staying disciplined within myself, And submitting my will to something which I would naturally rebel against. Here's the picture. Someone who steadfastly, this is the picture they they say to paint of this Greek word. Unflinchingly bearing a heavy load that describes the quality of character which does not allow one to surrender circumstances or succumb under trial. And it says, but they do it joyfully. And so I'm still trying to figure this word out. In fact, that makes sense, the character part of it, because that same word is used in Romans 5, 3 to 5. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Every time they say this word, they're, they're joyful. They're rejoicing. And it says, knowing that your suffering, suffering produces endurance. That's that word. It's the noun form of that word. And endurance produces character. So whatever this thing is, this joyful, under a heavy load, it it produces character. 
It doesn't say it's a character trait. It doesn't say it's one of the many traits of character. It'd be nice if it was 30 different traits. Like, you know, it'll make you happy, it'll make you more merciful, it'll make you nicer, it'll make you have all these self-control. It doesn't say that. It says it's not one of many characters. It's how you produce character, period. This word produces character. How many want your children to have character? I mean, if we had our choice, we would prefer our children have character. I ask that question first because we don't always say that I'm striving to have character myself. <laughs> but we want everybody around us to have character, and they want you to have character. Hallelujah. So how do you produce character, this thing about remaining under discipline? Now here's the word. We break it down. The word is actually hupo, which is H-U-P-O in Greek, and it means under. And then meno, M-E-N-O, which means stay, remain, or abide. So it literally means to Abide under a heavy weight. So the only thing that I can think of that really gives a good picture, how many have ever heard the term no pain, no gain? And what that means is, I want you to picture a person with weights on their back and uh, they've got a lot of weight and they're getting ready. How many have ever uh, done a squat with weights? And so you've got to go down low enough that your legs are parallel and you've got to come up with that weight. And there's a term in weightlifting that's called no pain, no gain. And so when you go to the gym, they are putting the maximum amount of weight to break down that muscle group, whether it's biceps doing curls or whether it's a bench press doing the chest, you know, whether it's uh, doing shoulder lifts, How many know you're trying to break down that muscle completely to where you literally have broken it down and it has to rebuild itself? And the scripture, now let's go back to that scripture and and plug that word in. For you know when your faith is tested, your this word, no pain, no gain word, right? Has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Because when it grows and is fully developed, you'll be mature. So something inside of your emotions and your heart and the way you deal with life has to grow up. And here's the thing that we're trying to mix into the word. Joy. (laughs) Okay. Be happy. Rejoice. Have joy. How do you mix joy into the word of extreme weight and extreme burden and extreme heaviness, well, just go to the gym. We have a terminology that we call meatheads. Okay, maybe everybody doesn't use the terminology. How many have ever been to the gym? And they're in there and there's the protein shakes and there's the high-calorie diets. All of us have been that at one time in our life, right? All the men in here, we've lifted before and... We've uh, checked out the, you know, the calories and the intake and the protein and the, how many have seen the joy at which somebody who's in the groove of lifting lifts? And it's like, it doesn't make sense, does it? It's like they've got that weight on and they're, I mean, they're lifting and it's like, you know, that hurts. That's gotta hurt. <laughs> okay. 
you got to be in a lot of pain. You sometimes you have trouble walking because you've done so many squats or deadlifts or you know, and it's and it's doing extreme pain to your muscles. You pushed them to the limit. It literally is like a the hardest day of work. You're simulating a hard, hard day's work, but they do it joyfully. I mean, they do it with. Um, I'll use this word. We don't use a lot. Vigor, energy, extreme energy. Now, a lot of that is pre-workout. What we call pre-workout. It gives you a vigor and an energy to lift, right? But the reason they have that joy, the reason they have that energy, the reason they have that vigor to lift is because they know, let it grow. They know the more that I break down my bicep, the more that I break down my legs, I'm going to actually build myself into a bigger, stronger, more mature body. How many know that? And so this word, that's spiritually how you define this word it's saying let this endurance grow in you let this hupomone grow in you because when it does you will be a mature spiritual person and so we understand it through the lifting of weights so the picture looks at a person who has the ability to focus on what is beyond the current pressure So when you're going through the troubles of life, what the Bible's asking us to do is to have the endurance that looks beyond the current pressure. Here's another place where they use the word. Hebrews 12, 2. It says, who for the joy that was set before him, this is Jesus. For the joy that was set before Jesus, he hupomoned, that's this word, the cross, despising the shame. That means he knew that it before him was joy of us being with him forever. Because of that joy, he endured his life in the cross because of hupomone. Because he knew that it was going to bring something good. And so now we look at the scripture. In fact, it says, here's another definition. This is not... Hupomone does not describe a grim acceptance of a trial or a trouble or a passive grin and bear it attitude. It is a triumphant facing of difficult circumstances knowing that even out of evil, God is going to bring good. So it means facing everything in life with what James calls faith. Knowing that everything that I go through in life has a plan and a purpose and it's going to bring something in my life that is good if I have patient endurance. If I go through it with the right attitude, joyfully, I'm building spiritual muscle to go through anything. In fact, uh, Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for good, to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. You know, when we give our life to Christ, we're lining our life up with his purpose. How many know that? And so these trials of our faith, they're not accidents. The trials of our faith is God trying to build spiritual muscle and teaching us how to endure. It's no pain, no gain. We're growing in a way that we cannot grow without the trials. How many know that? You say, well, I hate the way this person treats me. 
I hate the way that they stretch my faith. I hate the way that they make me have to go to God and pray in order to deal with them every day. How many have ever been there? And how many have ever felt like just giving up? And just saying, man, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I just want to blow the whole thing up, show them no love, and not even lean on my faith. I just want to go do my own thing, be mean, not show any love. How many have been there? Just blow the whole thing up. And God's saying, no, don't blow it up. These are important things that you need this endurance in your life to overcome it. So it goes on. Another uh, Greek scholar, actually, let me read the scripture. Luke 8, 25. It says in the seed, this is a parable of the different seeds that are planted, which is the word of God and how different people receive it. It says, and the seed in the good soil, this is the good seed. These are the people who have heard the word of God with an honest and a good heart and they hold on to it tightly and they bear fruit with hupomone, perseverance. A lot of times we read that parable, we miss that. How do they bear fruit? They receive the word, they hold on to it tightly and don't let it go, and they bear fruit and we stop. But the scripture doesn't say that. The scripture says... The seed is planted, which is the word of God. They're the ones who heard the word of God with an honest and a good heart. They hold onto it tightly and don't let it go. And they bear fruit with hupomone. That means if they grab onto the word, they hear the word, they hold onto it tightly and don't let it go. And no matter what happens, they have hupomone, no pain, no gain. That means that they hold onto the word and no matter how much it hurts, They're not going to let go of it. And that's the ones that bear fruit. So the reward of not giving up is what? Actually fruit in your life. You say, I want to bear fruit in my life. If you want to bear fruit in your life, don't let go of the word of God when you go through troubles. When you go through hard times and there's a little bit of pain, don't throw your life in Christ away because you're mad at what's going on in front of you. Hold on to the Word of God. Behave in the way the Bible tells you. Continue in the things of God even when things are hard because that's the only way. It doesn't have another way. It doesn't say you can bear fruit in another way. It says you have to bear fruit with hupomone, with no pain, no gain. You say, well, man, I want to build a, I want to look strong. I want to look like a bodybuilder, but I don't want to lift doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, how are you going to do it? Eat right. Just going to... I don't want to lift. I don't like the pain of lifting. I don't like the pain of getting up and doing the work. And I don't like the pain of breaking down my muscles. Well, you're just not going to have muscle then. Okay? It's just too bad. Spiritually, it's the same way. I want to bear fruit in my life, but I don't want to trust God during difficult times. I want to go, I want to serve God when it's good. But when times are hard, I want to do my thing. Well, you just can't build spiritual muscle at all. Because it says we bear fruit with hupomone. No pain, no gain. Right? So, um, uh, Zodiates, which is a Greek scholar, he says that this word is is what he would say, the only word in English he could say to compare to it is the word constancy. 
Which means a quality of character that does not allow one to surrender. That's his definition. So that's the only word in the English language you can think that compares to it. Constancy. That means I'm constantly in character and I will not allow myself to surrender anything good. Have you ever met somebody like that? No matter what their character holds, no matter how hard life gets. And uh, we have to stand here today and admit our, our failures. You know, we can stand here and say that I am that person. But we have seen people like that in our life that no matter what happens, they hold on to their constancy of character. I'll give you a few examples because we actually can find examples of this um, spiritually and we can find them in the world. You know, we can find perseverance. Even uh, though they're not with their faith and not Christian, I'm going to give you a few examples of both. I mean, you know, the, 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 the faith chapter in Hebrews is basically a definition of people under the most dire circumstances held on to their character and held on to their faith. And in fact, you look at that, some of them, like Isaiah, was sawn in half. And all the way to the point that he was martyred, he still never backed down from his character and his faith. You look at Jesus who went to the cross, who's the ultimate example. You look at Abraham who left his home and basically lived a nomadic life. And and there's ten great deeds of uh, Abraham's faith that it mentions uh, in his life. And uh, every person of faith had this characteristic or they weren't considered a person of faith. They had the hupomone, meaning that their character lined up with what they believe. Um, but you know, in life, um, I'll give you an example is, um, the founder of our, of our country, George Washington, you know, just an example of a modern day person that had extreme character. Um, if you look at the life of George Washington, the reason why he was considered one of our greatest presidents is because of Valley Forge. You know, there was a winter there where he had an army and they were starving to death. And uh, they were all about to die. I mean, they really had very little hope. They were fighting the number one military probably in the world, the British. How many know this American history? And uh, they literally were dying. There was almost no way that they would survive. And um, and uh, they would look and they just, uh, a lot of the comments of the men were, they would see Washington was bigger than almost everybody in the military. He was very tall and very strong and very noble and just didn't speak much. But when he spoke, people listened. And uh, they would look and they would see George Washington with his knees buried in the snow praying. And uh, somehow George Washington rallied troops who were starving to death and dying and all kinds of diseases. And I mean, you can't even imagine how difficult it was. And somehow um, he led them to victory. And uh, they will all say the same thing. It was because he had a character under pressure like nobody else had in the entire military. And um, that character was developed over a lifetime. I mean, want that kind of character. Abraham Lincoln. Um, some people consider Abraham Lincoln or George Washington our greatest presidents. Abraham Lincoln was uh, born in poverty, taught himself law, failed at almost every level of politics. He lost a uh, his first uh, political uh, campaign. He lost uh, in the House of Representatives. Uh, he ran for Senate, lost in Senate. Uh, he ran for several other positions uh, outside of politics and lost every one of them. And uh, won a few along the way, enough that he became a presidential candidate and became president. 
And um, how many see that every step of the way uh, was just hardship? I mean, if you look at his childhood, he was impoverished. And he was learning to read by himself. He was learning law by himself. Uh, he was failing every step of the way. In fact, he's, if you ever see the list of famous failures, he's always on that list because he failed at everything, but became our greatest president. And in the, maybe the, maybe, maybe George Washington of Valley Forge and the Civil War were maybe our two most desperate times as a nation. And had Abraham Lincoln not been there and had the character that he had, you know, he had real character. Real not giving up in the middle of a terrible circumstance. And had he not had that courage and that character that he had, we wouldn't have survived uh, through the Civil War. And uh, so we see that character there. Let me give you some more perseverance. And this is not even uh, Christian. This is just that ingredient that I'm talking about of not giving up on good things. Thomas Edison. How many have ever seen lists of famous failures? Look them up. They're very interesting. Thomas Edison uh, was in the middle of trying to create a light bulb which would revolutionize and change the entire world. Um, he had over, I wrote it down somewhere, how many patents he had. Over a thousand patents. and uh, But he tried to create a light bulb that would create enough energy where everybody can use it at home. It's a commercial light bulb. And he tried over 10,000 experiments to try to create that and failed every time and in the middle of that he still hadn't created it and he still was trying and he still was failing every time I mean it felt like you failed 10,000 times on something (laughs) that's hard it's it's hard to do if you've done that but he documented 10,000 experiments that he failed a reporter asked him um if he felt like he was a failure after so many failed attempts. And the quote that he gave him was, I have not failed 10,000 times. I have not failed one time. I have succeeded in proving that 10, 000, there are 10,000 ways that it will not work. When I have eliminated the ways that it will not work, I will find the one way that it will. How <laughs> many think that's a great way to persevere? <laughs> I've actually found 10,000 ways that it wouldn't work. (laughs) How many have found 10,000 ways in life that it wouldn't work? (laughs) Keep trying. Keep trying to find the one way that it will. You know, and you say, oh man, that's not funny. That's my marriage. Or that's my raising my kids. Or that's my family. Or that's my job. Or, you know, just don't quit. There's a reward in not quitting things that are good. Um, The Beatles... How many know the Beatles sold 1.6 billion records? They say probably a lot more than that now. 600 million in the states. How many know they recorded 15 songs and they tried to uh, sign a contract and they told them that uh, your style of band is over. Nobody will ever have that type of band and you guys will never succeed. How many know that is uh, this kind of persistence in a non-spiritual situation where they said, you know what, we're not going to quit even though they say that we're not going to make it, we're not going to succeed. I mean, no, they ended up being pretty popular. Elvis Presley at 18 walked in and made a demo. Walked in, made a demo. They weren't impressed. A year later, he walked in again, made a demo. They weren't impressed. Then a little later, he took a job as a truck driver. Okay, 
was driving a truck, felt like a total failure. And then he heard there was going to be a tryout for a lead singer of a band, tried out for the band, totally failed, came home. His dad said, what happened? And they said, I can't sing. I mean, no, this guy was a total failure. Failed at 18, failed at 19. Everybody said he couldn't sing. Tried out for the band. They said he couldn't sing. Went and drove a truck. Makes a demo, um, a song called That's All Right. And the rest was history. How many know he could have given up on the many failures? Edison could have given up on the 10,000 failures. Uh, The Beatles could have given up after their song. All of the people of faith in the Bible, how many opportunities did they have to give up? Abraham. What if Abraham had given up? What if all of these people of faith in the Bible gave up? What if these people I mentioned gave up? Let me tell you one that did give up. This is very fascinating. How many have ever heard of a Van Gogh painting? Vincent Van Gogh. Brilliant. Genius. The oil paintings of Van Gogh are worth as much as almost any artist in the world. In fact, do you know that he he had, look here, 2,100 pieces of art and 860 oil paintings. In fact, most of his oil paintings were made in the last two years of his life. Think about how many oil paintings that is in two years. The man was a genius but considered himself a failure. You know how many pieces of art he sold in his lifetime? One. 37 years old, most of his oil paintings were in the last two years of his life. He commits suicide because he was a failure in life. That's one who gave up. And after he died, you know what they found out? He was a genius. He was an absolute genius. Nobody had ever seen some of the things and the genius that he had. And he died and gave up. I had a family one time. A long time ago. And in fact, it's the first funerals I ever did in my life. And and just a family that I had met, and the dad um, felt like he, he, he got a prognosis of cancer, a diagnosis. And they said, we think you have cancer. And because of that cancer diagnosis, they sent things off to the labs. This is probably 30 years ago. Sent, and in fact I know it was 30 years ago, Sent all of his uh, tests to the lab, waiting for the tests to come back, but they told him it was very likely he had cancer. And so he took his own life. And so the first funeral I ever did was a man that took his life because he thought he had cancer. The test came back and he didn't have cancer. His wife was so distraught over him committing suicide that she jumped out of the car and committed suicide herself. And so over that one decision of a cancer that he didn't even have, he gave up on life. She gave up on life. And the one that I knew very well was the son. And so he was left to sort out you know, the mistakes that people had made. How many know there's a reward 
for, for staying, for not giving up. And I'm going to close with this. Worship team, you can come up. But there is a... Um, have you ever heard of the Navy SEALs? The Navy SEALs, they say, is among, if not the most difficult training in the world. How many have ever heard that? There have been, in fact, I looked up the videography, all the movies that have made, been made about Navy SEALs. And I really want you to follow this last story. Because the Navy SEALs, the movies that have been made, if, if half the movies were true about Navy SEALs, they are supermen. Okay? Because there's movies about Navy SEALs. They're supposed to be true stories where they were left behind in countries and were abandoned and they had to fight their way out. Marcus Luttrell. How many have ever seen anything about Marcus Luttrell being the only survivor? I think Lone Survivor was a movie that was made about him being the last one left and trying to fight his way out of a country. Uh, they're the ones that overnight went in and killed Osama bin Laden. How many know movies are made about this SEAL team? They're the ones that uh, go underwater and plant bombs on submarine, you know, on subs and boats and ships. And and if there is a mission that's going to be done by our military, usually it's one of these SEAL teams. So how many know the mission that they have is critical, absolutely critical. And so when somebody goes into SEAL training, it's very important that they're tested, right? And make sure you have the right person. And so I was looking at this training. In fact, this whole sermon was me just thinking about something I had heard about them a long time ago. God brought it to my attention. But in order to become a SEAL, you have to go through the training and normally get this 70 to 80% of the class drops out. How many have heard that before? And so at this training, they have a bell there. And they are yelling at you. They're cussing at you. They're putting your body and your mind through so much torment. And they, they are trying to get you to ring the bell. Because when you ring that bell three times and you put your helmet below the bell, then, it, then you can go home. And they're telling you, ring the bell. Please ring the bell. We don't want you here. And they're putting them through everything, trying to get them to give up. And there's a purpose to this. And how many know the purpose is that something is being worked out in your mind and in your heart by not ringing that bell? And they're sorting out who can take, who can handle the mission and who can't handle the mission. And something inside of you is being worked out and you say, well, it's not that big of a deal, but it is a big deal. Of all the things that they could test you on in the Navy SEALs, they could test you on intelligence, they test you on physical. The number one thing they want to test you on the military, even basic training, is what is your heart like? What kind of character do you have? How, hard, how much are you willing to stick in there when everything is against you? Because when you're on a mission in a foreign country or you're in a foxhole, the last thing they want is somebody that's going to abandon them. Somebody that's going to run off. Somebody that's not going to be there for his brothers in combat. How many know that? And so God does the same thing with Hupamone. He puts you through trials. He puts you through struggles. Because he wants to see, are you going to give up? Are you going to ring the bell? Are you going to put your helmet under there and go home? And they said, if you do it, you will regret it. 
You'll live the rest of your life knowing that you gave up. And so they put him through all this stuff. They make him, uh, in fact, in a 132-hour period, the most difficult part of Navy SEAL training is not the physical stuff, not the underwater swimming, not the uh, training, not the, all the other stuff. The most difficult thing is what's called Hell Week. And you say, well, what's that have to do with me? Because some of you have been through that. How many have been through that? Like, man, I've been through, I know what you're talking about. And in that hell week, 132 hours long, they sleep on average one hour a night. Three to four hours the whole week they sleep. And you say, well, what's that have to do with me? Have you ever been a mother? I haven't. You're looking at me like, have you? No, I haven't actually. <laughs> That's a pretty good question. But how many know sleep deprivation is part of it, isn't it? You know, sometimes when you're sick, how many know sleep deprivation is part of it, right? How many have ever had sleep deprivation from working too many hours? How many couldn't sleep because of anxiety? How many couldn't sleep because of children? How many have had so much stress, you're ready to throw in the towel? And I'm telling you, this is real life stuff. There are going to be hell weeks in your life. And you're going to be tempted to just give up on everything that is important. You're going to be tempted just to give up on life. You're going to be tempted just to throw in the towel. And I'm telling you, the number one thing of all the things they could test a Navy SEAL on, what they want to know is, are you going to give up? And what you need to know in life is, are you going to give up? And I'm going to close with a speech given by General McRaven who was the guy that ran this thing, this hell week, this whole torture they put on human beings. And if you watch that from the outside and you didn't know they were training for Navy SEALs, you would look at that and say, man, that is so cruel. Can you imagine just watching it and not knowing they're going to be Navy SEALs and see how they treat them? Go home. Go home. You're trash. You're garbage. You're low. Ring the bell. We don't want you here. They deprive them of food. They get them up in the middle of the night. They take them through the rain. They put them up to their necks in mud. They, uh, they make them go through a test with their uniform. And they're destined to fail that test. How many know that? How many have ever seen this? They have certain compliance with their uniform. And if their uniform's not right, they have to go onto the beach and row into the sand. And they call it a sugar cookie. And they have to live with the fact that they failed their inspection. They have to go to mud up to their necks. They have to run an hour before they eat and an hour after they eat. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They go into the barracks, wake them up in the middle of the night. How many think that sounds like life sometimes? And so McRaven, one of the most famous commencement speeches ever, let me give you the ten things that he learned from going through this himself and administering it to others. How many would like to know the ten things? I'm going long here, but I think it's good. Number one. If you truly want to change the world, what do you think he recommends? Hmm? Close. Make your bed in the morning. Have you ever known a military person that every morning their bed is immaculate? He says the first responsibility in life is making your bed, and if you can't even do that, how are you going to accomplish anything else? He said, so make it a point every morning to do that well. 
and you have a chance of doing the other things well. So if you can get up every morning and just make your bed well, you have a chance of doing other things well. I mean, you know, starting right is important. Every morning. That's why a military person will oftentimes have an immaculately made bed, if you wonder. Have you ever noticed that? (laughs) Number two. If you want to change the world, find people who will help you. He learned that the only way to survive in the military is to have friends. Because in order to survive hell week, guess what you have to have? People encouraging you. People helping you. People doing whatever they can to help you. And how many know it's not any different when we go through hell week? You have to make sure you don't cut people off. And that's what people do, don't we, in life? We cut people off. Number three, if you want to change the world, measure a person by the size of their heart and nothing else. He says, SIL training is the great equalizer. Nothing else matters but your heart. At this point, what color you are doesn't matter. What ethnic background you are doesn't matter. Your education doesn't matter. And your social status doesn't matter. All that matters is your heart. That means all the excuses are gone. How many know that we have a lot of excuses in life? And what he's saying is, still training, all that matters is the heart. Are you willing to get up every day and continue moving? Number four. You are a sugar cookie. Get over it. That means that you did not pass inspection and you tried the hardest you possibly could. You listened to every detail and they still made sure you failed. He said things in life are not going to go the way you want them to go. Just get over it. You're a sugar cookie. Because he made you roll. They make you roll in the sand and they make you keep your wet uniform on all day. So you'll remember that things in life are going to go wrong. In fact, they call it a, they call it um, flexible optimism. That means that things are going to go wrong, but you are you a flexible optimist? Number six. In fact, I'm going to skip over a few here. I'm going to go to number seven. If you want to change the world, you can't fear the sharks. The swim that they do is through shark-infested water. And most of them are scared they're going to get eaten by sharks. And so a lot of them will quit because they're afraid of the sharks. And they try to tell you, if you're ever going to accomplish anything in life, you have to swim with the sharks. And so you can't fear. You have to just jump right in. (laughs) I mean, I think that's good advice. If you want to change the world, you've got to be at your best in the darkest moment. One of the most difficult parts of the training is you have to go through the channel in the dark. You have to put something on a boat in the middle of the water and you have to swim all the way back. And in the dark, you can't see up, down, left, and right. And uh, people get scared and panic and a lot of people die. And so it's one of the most difficult things. And so what they try to teach you is you must sink down to the level of your training. You don't rise to the occasion, you sink down to your training. And so when you're in the middle of the channel, you got to depend and keep your composure. you got to depend on your training. Stay calm and keep your composure in the darkest moment. Be your best. 
for me to think that's important. Because we, at our darkest moments, sometimes fall apart. Number nine, if you want to change the world, learn to sing when there is mud up to your neck. He said the only thing that got them through the mud up to their neck was they all sang together. And he said in life, there will be a few people in life that will bring enough hope that will help you survive. And he said there's, if you, you need to be one of those people of hope that helps everybody else survive. And he said had they not been able to sing with their neck uh, up to their neck in mud, they would have not have survived. I mean, no, that really plays in the Christian walk. You've got to learn how to worship when things are hard, when you're sinking. Hallelujah. And number 10, I'm going to close with this. I know I've went really long, I'm sure. If you want to change the world, don't ever, ever ring the bell. Don't quit. He said you'll regret it for the rest of your life. Don't quit on God. Don't quit on your family. Don't quit on the things in life that are important. But hold on. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this word, perseverance. It's the missing ingredient we have to have, Lord, and we just thank you for your word. Bless each life, Lord, each marriage, each person's faith that they would um, strive to never give up, Lord. Never ring the bell. No pain, no gain, Lord God. Keep their eyes focused on you no matter what. Bless each person, Lord, and I pray that you help them through their struggles. Lord, that they would have people around them to help them with their struggles, Lord. Hallelujah. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer here, and we're just going to worship for one song. And if you need prayer, these altars are open. Um, If you need prayer after everybody leaves or during the week, I'm available. But but bring this to the Lord. We've got people here to help you and to pray with you. Uh, But let's just take a moment, and I'll close in prayer. Praise the Lord. Um, I'm going to close real quickly in prayer here, but I want to share one more thing. I'm going to let Eddie close in prayer. Um, I saved number five here. It says, "Don't if you want to change the world, don't be afraid of the circus. Um, over the eight-week training, they have to go through long runs, long swims, obstacle courses, calisthenics, and everything has a standard. And those standards are really hard to meet. So over the course of the eight weeks and Navy SEAL training, they have what's called a circus. If you fail to meet your standard, guess where you go? Two hours of extra training where everybody who did pass the standard sits around the circus and mocks you or encourages you. But it's grueling to go through the circus. It's embarrassing to be in the circus. But how many know the circus is where you get better (laughs) and you're able to pass the standard? So he says here, I like this and I wanted to close with it. Every day, let's see. Life is filled with circuses. You will fail. You will likely fail often and it will be painful. It will be discouraging. And at times it will test you to the very core. 
But if you want to change the world, don't be afraid of the circus. Hallelujah. How many want to get better? How many want want to joyfully submit to the trials of life? Because, Lord, I want to get better. I want to get stronger in my faith and more mature. Eddie, if you'd close in prayer. Just going to give a testimony real quick to that. that, uh, I love that word. Every day we see people give up constantly. And, uh, I was in the army and I'd seen a lot of people give up in the army. And, uh, and I've done ministry a long time and I've never wanted to give up ever when I was in the army. But in ministry, there's been often times that it's like, is this really worth it? And, uh, I will tell you, Chad said that there was 85% of Navy SEALs in training give up. But as that that man who gives that speech says, find yourself some friends. You know what? You don't want friends who are giving up. You don't want to make your friend base the 85% that are ready to give up. A lot of times we want to find those people who are going to tell us, yeah, go ahead and quit. It's time to quit. And uh, I've been blessed in, in ministry to have friends around me who always encourage me and never give up. You know, I've had Stacy with me for I don't know how many years who calls me just to make sure I'm not giving up. But there's uh, some of you know we've had some rough times over the last couple of years. And I remember uh, it ain't been that long ago, Ryan and I had to sit down and I told him, I said, I just, I think I'm done. And Ryan looked at me and he said, I don't think that's God's plan for you. Right, and he reminded me it's not time to give up. Right, like sometimes you do. You're just like, that's it. I'm done. You don't want to go to the friend that's going to say, yeah, you should leave. You want to go to that friend that's going to say, no, it's not time. You don't give up. You need people in your lives that will always tell you that. Find those people. If you can't find those people, come talk to me. I'll be that person. If you're a woman and you're like, that'd be weird for me to talk to Eddie Fine Stacy. Right? Find that person that's going to tell you, don't give up. Right? So I'm going to close with some prayer. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you help us endure, that your Holy Spirit helps us endure, Lord, and that that fruit of the Holy Spirit that we get whenever we just continue to persevere, God. It just is so tasty and it's so good, Lord. And I know you have bigger plans for everybody that's here, everybody who's online, everybody who will listen later on, Lord. You have such big plans for them if they'll just endure and continue on, Lord. God, for those who don't have somebody in their life to keep them from giving up, Lord, you be that one to speak into their lives, to never give up, to keep going, Father God, help everybody to find friends that will encourage them no matter what they go through. As we go through this week, Lord, we know Satan's going to try so hard to test us in this, Lord. And let us not see it as a bad thing, Lord. Let us see it as a time to rejoice, to persevere and say, not today, Satan. We thank you, Lord. I ask you to bless everybody in here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all.